This week, we thought we'd dive straight in to introducing our guest. Our guest today is an NHS frontline doctor who has been working in A&E for the entirety of the pandemic. You might also recognise him from the BBC series Junior Doctor, Blood, Sweat and Tears. I'm so excited for our guest today. Daphne, can you tell us a little bit more about him? Yes, I would love to. So not only has he been doing all of this incredible work during the pandemic right on the front lines with the NHS, but he has also become a bit of a star on TikTok where he currently has over 200,000 followers. On his account, he posts really positive videos where he spreads important messages, not just about the pandemic, but about health and medicine in general. And he is such an inspiration to so many people. So this week, we are so excited and honoured to be speaking to Dr. Emeka. This week's episode is an especially poignant one, given the year and a bit that we have all experienced. So Daphne and I would love to say a massive thank you to all the frontline workers out there. And we'd also like to thank Dr. Emeka for finding the time to speak to us, given all the incredible work that he is doing. So it would be great to start off. Could you introduce yourself and tell everyone in our audience what you do? And I mean, you're on TikTok and you're a doctor. Well, my name is Dr. Emeka Okorocha. So I'm a 28-year-old doctor working in London. However, I also have a big passion for media, social media, um, television, entertainment, fashion, fitness. I've kind of incorporated all that with working as a doctor in medicine. So I've used my platform on social media and different um, platforms like that to discuss and preach medicine and teach medicine and talk about wellness and fitness and fashion. So I've incorporated the stuff I'm enthusiastic, enthusiastic about with the stuff that I do for a living as an A&E doctor on the front line. So that's probably why I'm here. <laughs> Um, as an A&E doctor on the front line, um, what has it been like for you the past year of, you know, the pandemic and working through that and how has, I guess, the emotion of fear played into that? Has it been, I'm guessing it must be terrifying at times. Yeah, I think the past year has been very, very different for myself and my colleagues at work. Um, just because everything's changed. So A&Es all around the country have adapted and changed completely to um, after we familiarize ourselves with the pandemic to accommodate patients, to accommodate staff, obviously to kind of distinguish COVID and non-COVID patients and reduce as much contact between them as possible. So the whole layout physically itself is different. So I've worked in many different A&Es and a couple of the ones I've gone back to, the whole layout has completely changed. Obviously now we're wearing masks 24-7 in hospitals. This wasn't something before. So <clears throat> that's something getting used to when you're wearing masks for every day and often I've been working on COVID wards so I've been in quite serious FFP3 um, PPE which is qu- quite intense so I'll either have like a, a hood on or I'll have a FFP3 mask and you'll have this on for like your whole shift unless you're going to break to eat <clears throat> it makes it a little bit more intense obviously in terms of the fear aspect. We had many of our colleagues catch coronavirus. With our exposure, it was almost inevitable for some people. And unfortunately, we had some who passed on to the virus. So there was a lot of fear at the beginning when we weren't sure what was going on and we weren't sure just how deadly the variant of the virus was. I feel like we were still getting to grips to know 
what was happening. And so when we saw one or two colleagues pass away after catching the virus, then it became a thing where you were scared for yourself, you're scared for your family, you're, you're scared for your friends, your colleagues, everyone around you, your patients. And we just got into that kind of scenario where you just kind of had to do your job the best you could. But at the same time, you're thinking, I could be next in that bed. And for some people, that was the case. I know people who are no longer with us. I worked with for years. It's a coronavirus. So that in itself is, is quite a scary thing, especially because for me, personally, I have many of my family working in healthcare. So my sister's also a doctor. My brother was working as a HCA. And my dad is also a doctor as well in hospital. So I knew the risk and exposure for all of us was huge. And that's another thing I was obviously very scared about. If it was just myself, obviously living alone in London, I, I don't really have anyone to fear for but myself. But for them, I was more scared for. But thank God we've been okay up till now. Working in a hospital during the pandemic, um, obviously that just must bring up so many emotions. And like we said, fear. How do you manage those feelings? Like how do you wake up feeling a bit down, feeling really low, and then you have to go into work and you just have to treat other patients? Um, it, it, it's tough. I try and disassociate what I do with how I feel when I come home. So I'll try and speak to friends and family, watch stuff to get my mind off what I've seen. Like when you've even seen death and speaking to people's families and stuff like that, it, it does it does dawn on you. I'm generally quite a happy-go-lucky person. I'm quite like chilled and I find stuff to entertain myself, make myself laugh, that kind of thing. Hence why I started TikTok. It was one of the <clears throat> it was one of the little things I was doing that was taking my mind off it and these de-stressing. So and I found it really fun. And I actually started it uh, like a two, three days after we went into lockdown when I was working on the COVID ward. Just because, I was, you know, I had free time. Obviously, I wasn't going out to see my friends. I wasn't doing my normal uh, weekly activities of going out to the park, going out to, for drinks or whatever, to eat. So I had a lot of extra time on the weekend uh, when I wasn't working. And so I just decided to make some TikTok videos that, you know, entertain myself, entertain anyone who wanted to watch you know, educate people. And that was definitely a huge thing for me. TikTok definitely helped me get through the pandemic a lot because I spent a lot of time on there and I got a lot of good feedback and stuff, which made me do more and more and more. And here we are today. What is kind of the main message you want to get across on TikTok and through your videos? Because you're very optimistic and you really, I think, help people find the sense of hope in a very dark time. And I guess if you could kind of relay one message on your social platforms, what would that be? Be happy. Don't take life too seriously. Just be happy. Like, don't worry about people watching. Don't worry about what they'll say. Just be happy. Make stuff that entertains you and that you like. I didn't do content specifically for people because I didn't know what people would like. I did it to entertain and educate myself more than anything. And I thought, well, if I like this, I'm finding it funny. I'm sure everyone else would. And like, I was my own biggest fan at the beginning of my TikToks, I liked it myself. And I was like, it's quite funny. And <clears throat> so it never really affected me anything that people said. If nobody watched them, one person watched them, it wouldn't affect me if a million people watched them. But I wasn't really doing it for that. Like you don't, especially when you're doing social media, don't go into social media for views and likes because that's when you can fall into this rabbit hole of, because social media could be so unpredictable, you fall into this rabbit hole of, 
oh my gosh, people don't like that, or not that many people viewed this. And and then and then it starts to play on you and you find you're not doing it anymore for the reasons you started. The reason I started doing it was to entertain myself and, you know, hopefully educate the country on some of the things to do about wearing masks and what was going on with the new vaccine and some of the studies coming out. But if you find that you're doing it for that, uh, likes and views and this, you lose the whole, you know, you lose the whole meaning of why you started. And that's what I think happened to a lot of people when it comes to social media, it becomes that kind of competition. But if you just kind of be free and be happy with it and do what you like to do, create content you like, that's when it doesn't really feel like a chore or a job. It just feels like something fun, like a hobby. So if TikTok is like your message is to be happy, what we like to ask our guests um, in terms of happiness, uh, what are the small things day to day that bring you happiness? We call them our bubbles of joy. So like bubbles of happiness. Um, speaking to family, anytime I hear my family, like I have group chats to my family, I have group chats to my siblings. So speaking to them day to day, the fact that we have so much access to speak to people who were not physically around is great. So <clears throat> we're, we're always sharing memes, sharing jokes, like literally daily. So that's that's my main bubble of happiness. And then myself watching sports highlights. Thank God for sports back, football, basketball, NFL, especially because I use that and then discuss that with my friends and family as well. So it kind of feeds into the same thing. You know, just eating healthy exercise, I loved it. I loved doing a home workout. Before I wasn't a big fan of home workouts before the pandemic. Obviously, I was much of like a gym goer. But now, like just to get through a nice, a decent home workout makes me happy. I just feel like refreshed. I'm like, yeah, you nailed that, boy. You nailed that. That sort of thing. So that that in itself is really telling. And then, obviously, there are other things that I just enjoy. So like, I'll get on. Uh, house party, Google Hangout, Zoom, chat to my friends, little things like that. Obviously, when you're by yourself in the pandemic, I think connectivity is really, really important because you never want to feel by yourself. I don't feel as if the pandemic has affected me that mentally like it may have had I not had such a solid support system. <clears throat> so I've been working throughout and then doing social media work and branding work throughout as well. So I've kept myself very busy. So I haven't really felt it as much as some people. I know some people who have been furloughed or who've lost their jobs or they haven't been able to go into work or work at home. They've really felt it a lot more than me. So I've kind of felt for them. I think I've been quite fortunate in this pandemic, although what I do is quite intense and has intensified during the pandemic. From your kind of perspective, being involved in TikTok and being on Instagram and everything like that, what kind of do you think of social media as a whole? Do you think it's... Mm is a kind of force for good. What do you think about the kind of negative? Have you had any experiences with the more negative sides of it? I, I, honestly, so I'm more of a glass half full person. So I see social media as a great kind of outlet. I think it's, social media is fantastic. I think you could learn so much on social media. I've learned so much on social media. I've made so many friends on social media, connected with people on social media. I feel like you can express yourself on social media. So. In that sense, it's, um, it's really good. In terms of like trolls and stuff like that and negative sides, I feel like with anything, there's going to be negativity. So I feel like it like it's, it's kind of part of the job. Like if you put yourself in the public eye, people will have an opinion of you. And that's what social media is. 
I think the main thing is just focus on you, focus on the positive bit. I don't really dwell on uh, trolls and hate so much. And if I do, it's more in a positive light. So occasionally I'll see stuff and like negativity and hate and me and my friends will kind of laugh about it. Like we just kind of laugh off. I've never really taken it seriously. My whole life I've kind of been in a position where I've been an individual like kind of out there. And so I've kind of dealt with it just by, you know, keeping positive and, and there's never really been a thing for me. Even when I went on the TV program, BBC Junior Doctors in 2017, I'd sometimes go on Twitter, but you see things people are saying about you and they weren't always positive, but you just have to kind of like laugh them off. You never really take it personally. You understand these people don't personally know you. All they know is what they see on TV or what they see on social media. So uh, from that, they can make their own assumption of you, but at the end of the day, you are you. And no one, no one changes that. So. I've never really felt depressed about it or felt upset about it. If anything, just make me laugh. I'll see some, some of these comments and be like, <laughs> I was kind of creative. <laughs> so I just move, on, move along. Who are your favorite TikTok accounts that show up on your For You page? What kind of content are you in? Like, what do you like? Honestly, I, so I don't follow that many people, but the people I've mainly followed, Dr. Like, so I started following medics and doctors and people in healthcare because I found that interesting. I wanted to see how they themselves were conveying healthcare through TikTok in the pandemic. So the uh, life of a doctor and there's another dentist called Jasmine I follow. And like seeing how they spread, you know, medical information on TikTok, I found very useful. Plus a lot of the stuff they do, I'd learned. So I wondered how vaccines were going in America, how testing was in America, what the numbers were in America and a lot of, the content creators I see are American and I like sports content as well. The F2 freestylers football. I really like them. Like, you know, it's kind of jokey accounts of my friends. One of my friends, Tega, is very big on TikTok and he makes like a lot of dance, funny account stuff. A lot of fitness. One of my friends, Frank, uh, you, you, I think you go by you first on TikTok. I think he hit 3 million or something the other day. He's very, very big in terms of fitness, that's a personal friend of mine. So, and he, he comes up with like workouts and stuff like that, which I even use at home. So I like stuff that educates me, stuff that when I watch it, I can say, you know, it was entertaining, but I've learned this as well. Not, not that I feel like I've just wasted my time for two hours scrolling down TikTok. I feel like, okay, now I have this new information that I can use for myself and I've been entertained. So that's what I tend to watch on TikTok. Hence why I try and do that myself. I want to entertain you but I want to educate you too. So you feel like, oh, I've watched this TikTok. It was kind of funny, but now I know how to wash my hands. Or now I know how to put on the mask. Or now I know how to do CPR. <clears throat> and I feel like that's why I was really happy and working with the British Red Cross, jumping in with them to make TikToks because I was like, okay, this is good first aid information of what to do if somebody's choking or what to do if somebody's having a heart attack or a stroke or coughing but it's made like a bit more fun and jumpy and a bit more relatable to a demographic, which may not have that information otherwise. Cause a lot of this information is found in books or lectures and people, people aren't reading books and going to lectures the way they used to. The kids are now on social media. So we have to get that information and educate them that way. And I was happy to be in campaigns, educating from British Red Cross to learn on TikTok campaigns. I was coming out with a lot of medical information and that's the kind of stuff I like to do. That's the kind of stuff I like to watch. You've spoken before about 
being smart and well-dressed and how important that is for you and if our listeners have seen you on TikTok or on Junior Doctors like they will see firsthand how dapper you are when you're dressed (laughs) do you um do you find that people and patients uh like treat you differently when you're dressed kind of more smart um oh yeah 100 percent um I li- listen, laugh me as well. I I like to think of myself as the wildest guy. Okay, <laughs> so when when I'm out there, I think in terms of where when things were open, I'd go to a lot of events that required you to be quite well dressed. You know, a lot of good network events in London and whatnot, and sort of high profile stuff because I kind of like networking. And so you you'd have to come across like you'd have to come across and give you the best image of yourself. So you, you want to be dressed to the nines at all times. That's what I say. You want to be, you know, look in a free piece and a blazer, you know, circling and you'll be networking with people. I enjoyed that. That was kind of my fun. Obviously with that stuff, it's a little bit different, but my love of fashions remains. I follow a bunch of fashion sites on Instagram and TikTok. And some of my friends are quite big on TikTok doing fashion. And it's one of the things I do as well. I think, yeah, definitely in hospital nowadays, I've kind of only been wearing scrubs with what's been going on. I haven't really been able to wear my my tie, my tie and my shirt the way I used to. But yeah, back in the day, you wear your tie and your shirt, nice bit of tie and shirt. The patients look at you a little bit more respect. And obviously I was a young, very young doctor coming in. So I wanted to be in a position where patients were taking me very seriously. Like at the end of the day, I'm a doctor. Because a lot of people ask me, wait, you're the doctor? You know, you see this young, black six, six guy come over there and you're thinking, are you the doctor or is some sort of basketball player? But then you come in with your tie and a nice bit of shirt and your stethoscope and all of a sudden you command that kind of respect. And that's what, and patients would see that. And I, I could see instantly the difference between when I just have a normal scrub up on and when I'd have my power tie and my stethoscope around me. And I enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed dressing well. I enjoyed looking good. I feel like it helps me feel good. If I feel good, I'm in a better mood. So I've always been an advocate of look good, feel good, and and be good. Like it keeps your mood. A lot of people ask me why I'm so happy all the time and why I'm so confident because I find ways to make me happy and confident. It's not always as natural as people think. But you know, you need to find those gems that make you feel good and look good. And like I could be in the house going absolutely nowhere, but I go get dressed on a free piece, get in front of the mirror, do a couple of walk downs and whatnot. You know. All of a sudden, my mood is completely changed. I'm not even going anywhere. So it's part of one of the reasons also I work out a lot because you want to see yourself looking good, feeling good. If you've got abs, you look into the mirror and you're how like, is that me? Is that me right there? Is that me? <laughs> yeah. That obviously changes the game for some people. And it's, I think it's important, to, it's important to find ways to get yourself confident as possible and get yourself in the right mindset and the right mood, even in the mornings and people like, animals and so they'll go hug their dog or their cat and that'll make them feel better as uh, certain people are into music so they'll listen to a song which will change their mood to get them ready for the morning and then certain people like to look good and obviously their image is important to them and i'm one of those people so i do work on my image if i can whether it's you know going to the gym or dressing well and i find that definitely keeps my mood as optimal as it can be now that kind of daily you're in your scrubs and you've got your PPE on have you found that that has kind of made a difference in your attitude because you physically can't wear your 
tailored outfits and your and your ties to work has that affected like the fact that you can only really wear scrubs at the moment um luckily i'm in a position where it hasn't affected me that much because now i have kind of tailored scrubs <laughs> so i said uh, i'm gonna find i'm gonna find a way to beat this so first i was just wearing you know everyday hospital gloves, but i've been working with a, a company in america who actually saw this and saw how i like to dress and so they actually tailored scrubs for me which are quite fitted and quite flattering and have my details on them and my own branding logo so i still feel that i kind of stand out and dress well even though i'm in scrubs i'm able to fulfill both criteria and then obviously with the ppe i kind of style out i'm not gonna lie to you i try and style out as best i can i wear, wear that mask like nobody else <laughs> and you still shuck and jive on the wards and your mask and your ppe you still make the best of it i guess life is what you make it isn't it it's situational. I've got a One friend. Man um, man treasure. <laughs> I've got a friend who um who has to wear the the shield because she's um she's a nurse. And at Christmas she was like drawing with a like a sharpie, like a marker pen, like <laughs> snowflakes and her name. Yeah, and I just yeah, exactly. styled styled it out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I've I've seen some original ones. A lot of people now, because I, I think a lot of uh, healthcare workers have accepted that PPE is not going anywhere soon. Like we're going to be wearing this for a long time, and so people have decided to style it out. I'm actually going to be working with a PP company. I can't really say too much, and I'm going to be showing how fashionable PP can be, and then even just every day outside of hospital on um, transport. Obviously, I'm in London. TfL the transport in London is is everywhere. Whether you're on overground, underground, buses, trains, cabs, you name it, you're going to be wearing PP because that's what we have to do to beat this pandemic. And there's no reason you shouldn't look good. No reason you shouldn't look good. So I've worked with a bunch of um, companies that have done face masks and a bunch of companies on face coverings as well, different styles, different brands. And you manage to work it with your outfit. I've worked with Moss Bros as well, with men's fashion wear company, and they have their own face coverings. And I've worked with those, I've advertised those. So it's all a form of PV and I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. And I think that going forward, there will be a lot more PP coming out. More of it will be more fashionable. And I hope to be part of that, part of that movement. Um, if we go back to, you know, when you first became a doctor, um, what inspired you to go into healthcare? And what is it that makes that so rewarding to you? Way back when. Um, I was just a young man back then. That's just a young man back then. But... I think one, I knew very much about the profession, my dad being a doctor and whatnot, I knew about it. And his dad also being in healthcare and medicine as well back home in Nigeria. Two, I think the the values it took to be a doctor really were ingrained in my personality, I believe. So I was very competitive as a kid, like when it came to sport, when it came to academics, it was very competitive. And medicine was very, very competitive to get into. So it was always a challenge I saw that I wanted to do. I think I always had a knack to, to help people. It's just, I was always very, very sociable. I'm a people person. I'm a people pleaser and a people person. So I knew physical contact and seeing different people every day was always going to be a job I wanted. And if I could help them in any way, like whether it's a person struggling to breathe, whether it's a person in pain, whether it's a person going through a crisis, if I can help them in any way, that's very self-rewarding for me. And it's good for them. And so I thought, actually, 
this is a career that I could see myself in for a very, very long time. And so I did what I needed to do, applied to med school, did a lot of work experience and care work experience, get myself out there. And then the rest is history. So I'd really like to know a bit more about like what your upbringing was like, especially having uh, such a, a family involved with medicine and having uh, like medical careers. Did you feel mm. able to express your feelings and emotions and kind of be vulnerable with your family and your friends as a child than like as a teenager and a young adult? Did you have that outlet to be vulnerable? Um, and that's a, that's a very good question, actually. Because growing up as a young Nigerian boy, you're not really taught about vulnerability. You kind of like, you don't, you, you don't really have an option in a lot of those scenarios. You don't know about how it is to be vulnerable. I think the way my parents brought me up and the way they taught me, they taught me a lot of coping me me methods for when things would go wrong and to put them right. And so I never really felt vulnerable or sad or emotional. I think it's obviously different from maybe my sister, but as a, as a Nigerian boy, you just taught all the kind of, all the different ways to kind of, you know, be a man and kind of man up. That's kind of like our culture, um, which is interesting because now obviously we preach a lot, like a lot more. If you're going through things, you don't have to always be tough or act tough because men, men's mental health, especially black men's mental health in the UK has, has really taken a decline. So I kind of preach to people like, listen, I know we're kind of brought up to be tough men, African men, but like we have feelings too. And I never really kind of knew that when I was young because it just wasn't kind of the way things were done back then. I feel like going through forward in medical school and stuff, my mom was very good and she's always asked me like, you know, are you okay? How are you doing? How's your head and stuff like this? But normally I was, I was, I was fortunate enough never to be in a situation where I ever felt like vulnerable or depressed. I was always just too happy. I was always happy running around playing sports, playing with my friends. But I never really had that. But I do encourage parents now <clears throat> to be easier on their kids and understand to explore their mental health and ask them, are they okay? How are they coping? Are they feeling sad? Because often sometimes your kids won't tell you because they want to, you know, be tough, especially when that young Nigerian boys, young black boys, they want to, you know, kind of be tough and not show that vulnerable side. But it is important that people recognize that all kids of any um, race or any gender will have an aspect of vulnerability and to make sure that people don't miss that. So I never really experienced it myself, but it's kind of something I definitely teach for people now. I, I even did a, um, a TikTok on it, actually, a TikTok sketch on it, uh, funny enough, about how depression is viewed in black families and stuff. And to encourage people, yeah, just don't don't kind of like, um, don't kind of like bob it off. You know, you have to acknowledge it's there and you have to, you have to explore it. You know, don't try and be ignorant to the fact that kids who have mental health issues, especially young black males can have mental health issues. And I feel like if we can explore that more, the vulnerability in these, these demographics of children, then we'd have a lot less suicide rates, a lot less depression, anxiety rates, a lot less presentations into A&E. Because I've seen them. I've seen kids come into A&E very upset and very depressed. Young uh, black, black boys, young white girls, all the, throughout the demographics. And you're thinking these kids are 12, 11, 13, 14, coming into pediatrics A&E. 
depressed and talking about suicide and stuff. And you're just like, wow, I didn't even realize this was a thing back in my day. But it is. And so it's something I definitely speak on and warn people of the signs. Look at your little siblings. Look at your children. Look at the signs that they're becoming more withdrawn. They're becoming more quiet. They're losing losing joy in the stuff that they normally do for fun. And ask them, are they okay? What's going on at school? What's happening with your friends? How are you feeling? That sort of thing. Um, as a doctor, is there anything that you wish people knew more about during this pandemic? It's tough because I feel like we're there now, but I just wanted people to know how serious coronavirus was, like to know that this isn't a joke. And that's why I was promoting the vaccine and saying, guys, we need a way out of this. And we, we need to understand this. We're in a very, very, very difficult situation. You can see us all stuck at home. Then when has this ever happened before? We wouldn't be in this situation if we were on top of this pandemic, but we're not. So uh, that's why I did the campaign. Look into their eyes. Like it showed real life patients and showed some of the things I see. But I guess for a lot of people, they're not seeing it directly because they're at home. They're just kind of doing their own thing and working from home. They're not actually seeing just how bad it is in hospitals around London and around the country. Hence why I've been on the news on a number of different stations to tell people, no guys, it's bad. This is what I'm seeing, a lot of it. And we need to ease this up somehow. And that's the only thing to convey to the British public. But they say seeing is believing. Hence why we did the campaign ad, look at their eyes, and hence why it's gone over banners and different billboards around London and then adverts on your TV. So you can look and see what patients are going through, see what NHS staff are going through. And then hopefully, am I kicking your conscience to, to do more to kind of respect the pandemic and stay at home and try and follow the guidelines and the rules put in place to keep us safe. And you've had your vaccine, right? I think I saw it on your Instagram. Yeah, I've had my first dose. What was that experience like? Honestly, it was much, much smoother than I expected. Like, I, I know for a fact, obviously, waiting times and things going in the NHS, they don't always go to plan, especially with a number of people going for it. But I documented my whole journey of the vaccine. So I knew, obviously, very much about it. And my dad had already had it. I'd already taken him to have it. So I kind of knew the process. I went um, with, uh, I was at the same hospital, but my brother, when he had his as well. And we both just went and had a jab and I was like is that it? I was like there's a lot of build up for this <laughs> is that it? and then it was kind of done they were really good the nurses were really really sweet and they gave you a leaflet and they kept you there just to make sure you didn't have any kind of reaction and I was just chilling talking to my bro I was like wow so I guess I guess that was that then and then and then that was it and then we went home uh, well I'm so glad that you like shared that on um, on social media I think it's really important that it is kind of more accepted than people aren't scared as well because I think it might just be a little bit scary like I know people yeah. are terrified of the flu vaccine so this might seem like a bit of a um, yeah. emotional time I, I have tried to battle skepticism and misinformation on the vaccine and I continue to because I feel like that's a big issue especially in um, the baby communities the skepticism is huge so I've tried to talk about it on the radio and different channels and like, you know, different WhatsApp groups with a bunch of us in it to talk about my experience with the vaccine. And I've been on Zoom calls and told guys like, it's safe, you're good, don't worry. But 
it's a thing where we'll know more about it as time goes on. I think people will be more accepted about it. People will see the people who have had it that haven't had any side effects long-term or short-term and think, actually, it probably is safe. We've seen so many people have it now who just carried on their daily life and lived healthily. So maybe I'll go and get mine to keep myself and my family safe. And it's only one of the things where time will tell. We've spoken already about what you wish people knew more about during the pandemic. But as a doctor, is there a message that you wish you could get across to the general public, not necessarily about the pandemic, but just about healthcare and the way that works in general? I've always kind of been an advocate of put your health in your hands. So that means basically taking your health and putting it at the forefront of your life. I think with everything that's gone on, we've realised just how important your general health is because we've seen the prognosis with coronavirus and it's hitting the people who have been unfortunately unhealthy and had long-term conditions much harder. So putting your health in your hands, so like watching your diet, doing your exercise, keeping your mental health in check, making sure you're at your optimum, both physically and mentally at all times is so imperative going forward because those people who have been are the people who have been okay during this pandemic. So that's one thing I want to push forward that people, you know, take their health seriously and put your health in your hands. And I'm going to be coming out with a number of different bits of how to do that. That obviously coincides with my TikTok, like five ways to keep yourself healthy, five ways to get better sleep, five ways to do more exercise, those sort of things. It allows people to take care of their own health and put their health in their hands. And that's something I really want to encourage for the public. Thanks for listening to Getting Personal. If you're enjoying our emotional conversations, then please give us a like, subscribe, and don't forget to leave a review. It gives us a boost in the charts, which helps other listeners to find us. And most importantly, it's one of our happy little bubbles when we read what you've written. So leave us some stars. 